Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We help you win. It's a game of business and marketing, so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Please check out our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com for all of your favorite syndication options so you can subscribe to your preferred network and check out a breadth and depth of episodes relevant to business creators just like you. Today we're going to have a little bit of fun. Uh, Sometimes we discover some gems when we find people who are in niche businesses. In this case, somebody who uh, deals with bioscience businesses. So we're going to have some fun. And we're going to discuss shaping the wealth of, excuse me, shaping, so excited about this, shaping the future of health, wellness, and bioscience. And with us today, we have Susan Goebel. And let me tell you a little bit about her. So it takes the right combination of bioscience knowledge, marketing intelligence, lead generation strategies, operational insight, product R&D expertise, and personal drive to fuel the business development of any life science firm. For almost two decades, Susan Goebel has been leveraging these core traits to deliver multi-million dollar revenue generating initiatives with global reach. Now Susan has turned her focus to supporting others in their ventures in bioscience businesses, from helping doctors bring new medical solutions to market to connecting investors and inventors. Susan helps shape the future of health, wellness, and bioscience. So Susan, come on in. The weather's fine. Adam, I am so excited to be here. Thank you. You know, before I got on this show, I was listening to a number of your podcasts, and your audience is amazing. The value they're getting from a lot of these people that have business and marketing experience, it's awesome. I love it. Adam, thank you so much for having me on as a guest. And we are honored to have you. And as I said, this is going to be one of those excuse me, topics that some people may say, well, what's this doing on an entrepreneur show? But it's very important because we're, no matter what niche you're in, there are certain things to carry across in all businesses, and we love to get these different perspectives because we can learn different things from different markets. Candidly, I like to tell people that when I first started as an entrepreneur back in 2003, and I had a side venture that was sort of like my side hustle as I was trying to figure out how to get enough clients so that I could jump and when I could jump so I could get more clients, you know, because I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. I also didn't know anything about websites. And this was before the era of WordPress and lead pages and click funnels and all these other CRMs that make it easy to use drag and drop to build whatever website you want. And I certainly didn't have money for development. I uh, I was reinvesting uh payments off two clients who were bringing me two grand a month. There wasn't a lot there. So I hacked a porn site because I could read this code and I could tell where the tables and everything were. So sometimes it's the weirdest things out there that get you going. Now, what I'd like to do here is before we dive in, and I know you have a lot to share with us, Susan, is if you could just tell us a little bit about your story. I read off your bio, and it's so impressive. I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be here with you on my own show. But tell us a little bit about your journey and what brought you to where you are serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Wow. It was a great intro. Thank you so much. 
So I've had a couple decades of experience in the pharma industry, and as I talk to a lot of people in human health or in animal health, I have come to realize that my background's pretty unique. So the company that I worked for the longest was about 15 years. It had a division in both areas. It had one in human health and it had one in animal health. It also had a crossover division, which is called One Health. And I was right. very fortunate because I got to spend time in all these different areas. And usually when you talk to a bioscientist, they spend their time and energy, their focus is on one particular thing, whether it's on cardiovascular, just human, whether it's uh, just dogs or curing cancer, whatever it is. And I love the fact that when I left university, kind of bummed around a few different jobs, as a lot of people do, but I managed to get into an R&D lab. And then I touched over the number of years, over the two decades, uh, research and development, mergers and acquisitions, regulatory, manufacturing, project management, all these different areas, and eventually became an entrepreneur and started an own company with a number of other individuals as well. And so you get all this vast experience and you go, Everyone I meet from doctors and veterinarians, they're very focused on helping in terms of creating a positive health experience for their patient, be it four-legged or two, but they're yep. not always that great at the business side of things. Uh -huh. And that's where I saw that, hmm, okay, so here's the doctor in the office, and he's treating a patient, and he says, or she says, don't want to be sexist, he says, you know what, I found that this is a really great idea I have that would solve this unmet need, but I don't know what to do with it. And so that's where a few years ago I started out at going, okay, let me help those who have an idea and they need to understand what it takes in the pharma world, in the biotech world, to go from concept to full successful commercialization. Because there's a number of different paths and strategies that you could take depending on what the outcome is. But the one thing I always found, and some of your other podcasts, Adam, they've touched on it so beautifully, marketing and base assumptions and business planning, not always the forte of these individuals. Right. That's the funny thing, and I know working with creatives myself in some of my private consulting, that uh, getting them to understand the business case for what they're doing can be somewhat challenging. And creating that linkage and that harmony between the brilliance of their inspiration and the practical elements of actually making it happen. And sometimes the variances and the needs to create connections show up in very, 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 very minor little things that turn into mountains. In fact, that's one of the reasons I wrote my book, Groundhog Days and the Vet Not a Business Strategy, is to help folks understand some of those little things that may be burrowed beneath the surface right underneath your foundation. And we can call those groundhogs out they'll bring with them the rich, fertile soil that will make the grass greener on your side of the fence. And also some little things that have some people, especially uh, creatives, inventors, the genius sites, so to speak, who uh, will keep asking themselves, I have, I'm, I'm such a, you know, I, you know, candidly, I'm a genius. And, and why is it that I'm having so much trouble 
having any success with this? Why is this that I'm still making or losing the same amount of money? And oftentimes it's these little things that are going on here, and I know that some of the things we're going to discuss are kind of broad in the environment of business, but what I'm looking forward to with Susan in the time we have together today is to sort of bring those into this frame. So the first question, and I know this is something that you ask your clients a lot, so I'm going to just ask you the question the way you ask it is, are you ready to fail? Oh, isn't that the best question? Don't marry your idea. <laughs> when I talk to business development people, so if I take a step back for a second, if a doctor comes to me or a veterinarian comes to me and they say, hey, I've got this idea, I've, I've even taken care of some of the basic stuff, but I just really want to be the creative person, right? There's ways to do that. You can out-license your product. But before you get to those stages, a lot of this in terms of success comes to the question of have you done the background research to make sure that your product is actually something that the market wants, which means are you ready to fail? Are you ready to get the answer that says no that allows you to go to the next iteration? and be that success, or fail again, right? What is Google's model? Fail fast, fail forward. Right. Good model. Yeah, very true. And, you know, that is kind of a kind of a leap there because the challenge that a lot of people have, and this is something that I've experienced in my, in my own life, is uh, are you prepared to, are you prepared to fail? Um, are you looking forward to the excitement of having the learning experience. Folks will go into this and they will have a very poor relationship with uncertainty. And due to the fact that they have that issue with the relationship with uncertainty, what that leads to is they won't take a step forward. And you have to recognize that at some point you're going to need to, and that's where, and that's where some of this comes into play. So what I'd like to do now is move this along a little bit, and you like to ask this question, who gets the bigger cheese, the lone wolf or the pack? <laughs> That's cool. The team. I have been guilty of this in my life. Oh, my gosh, I can do it. I can do it better than anybody else can do it. But at the end of the day, I'm one person. I have the same 24-7 that everybody else has. So if I can use right. leverage and a team, then even though they don't do it at 100% because I'm a perfectionist and that's just who I am, then maybe if I have three people working at 80%, doesn't that leverage time and doesn't that speed things up to get the success or the failure because both are valid answers in science and in business in order to move forward on the project. Right. Right, 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 right. And I think there's, I think there's something to that. So uh, let's say, you know, let's look at increasing prosperity. And in your experience and the work that you've done in your niches, what are some of the creative ways that you've come up with to uh, I'm going to start with a very broad term of increasing prosperity and allow you to drill that down as you see fit. Oh, prosperity. That's a really tough one. So for a lot of the people I deal with, they don't always measure some of this in dollars and cents. They measure it in how many lives they can save. So for them, it's okay. It's not that I found an aha moment in my clinic that treats one patient, 
but I'm pretty sure that I can solve this entire issue or I can get to 100,000 patients and I can easily fix that. Uh, when I started this year, 2019, I have uh, I have something called the Bioscience Boardroom and really my goal there is to make sure that I can help 10,000 bioscience entrepreneurs. Now that's a big number. Not all of them are going to be successful, but if I can help them through giving value and making sure they understand the road and some of the major milestones you have to hit, that's really important in the pharma world because when you're, I always get a good chuckle, Adam, when you're sitting down and you're watching the news and they go into that research lab at the university and they say, oh, I'm interviewing Dr. So-and-so and they've just made this big breakthrough. Do you know how long that is to a commercial product and how much money? That is 10 years away at minimum and $2 billion to get that to market and 97% of them will fail. But you gotta keep coming up with the ideas. So prosperity is a very broad term and different clients of mine would measure that in different ways. Right, 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 right. So yeah, very, very important to consider uh, when, you, when you look at this. So how does one build the best customer avatar for their business idea. And I think this is important to consider because when you get into creative and you get into invention, it's great that you discovered that you came up with this thing that needs inventive and needs creative, this new market that needs to happen. But without it having been sold before, how do you even build an avatar for this, first off? Well, that's really easy and I bet as easy as it is, a lot of people won't do it. You go out and you talk to people. Hey, so-and-so, uh -huh. I just had this really great thought in my head for people who have this health issue. Um, I think that you or someone you know might actually fall into that category. If we were able to provide the following thing, would that help? Can I tell a story or a little bit of an example here? We got plenty of time. All right. So years ago, I was going through uh, reproductive fertility treatments. And where I was located was an hour's drive away from the fertility center. So every morning in the cycle that you had to go to the hospital, and it was, it was in the hospital in this particular case, um, I would have to get in my car at 6 o'clock in the morning and drive down the highway and go for a blood draw, go for an ultrasound. They do their thing, and then I got to drive all the way back. Okay, so in the realm of fertility, you're making at least, in my case, 11 of those drives every cycle that fails. But it didn't need to be that way. There are simple solutions in order to make sure that you don't have to do 11 of them. You maybe only need to do seven. Now, how much what's the impact on me as somebody who doesn't have to get up and spend two hours in the car, be late for work, so I have to continually say to my, my boss, um, I had one of those things this morning, I promise I'll be late, don't worry, I'll work the extra time, no worries. Um, the, the emotional toll that that takes, the blood draws and all that, uh, just to know that for the next five of these, it's a waste of time for everybody. Don't you have other patients you could be seeing? So you wind up 
in terms of checking an avatar, is it just me that has this problem, this unmet need where I don't need to be making that trip on a regular basis? Or is it, you know, more than me? Because the statistics say that in North America, it's one out of six couples that have trouble conceiving. So it's possible that one out of six are undergoing a variety of, of procedures in order to investigate why they can't conceive. Right. So how many of those wouldn't need to necessarily bog down the system? It's a good question. But you've right. got to go out and talk to people. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, when you – and, and again, how do you gather this information aside from speaking with folks? I mean, because you could be looking at a fair amount of trying to gather information from people is there some other way to reach the mass market with this? Is there some way that we can test these sort of things before we get too far into research and development? Because another thing we discover is that many folks will say, oh, yeah, man, that sounds good. But then there's the issue of getting them to actually buy it. <laughs> Isn't that the best? Yeah. Who has the wallet? Who's going to pay? And how are you going to validate that they're willing to not just say, yeah, that's a great idea, but they're going to put their money on the table where their mouth is, and they're going to actually go through with that. So some clients of mine do this in different ways. I have one client that always does a social media marketing campaign in advance of the actual product launch. So they right. have a, a presence online. They have a YouTube channel. And YouTube, well, I don't know if you, you or your, your uh, audience here has gone in, and every once in a while you're presented with one of these surveys. Yeah. Right. The client has obviously, they're looking for something that owns that channel. They're looking for an answer. You just click on one of the buttons or not, as the case may be, and they get a whole bunch of responses. So in the right. case of this one particular client, they have a, a channel, they do some basic research with polls, then from that they're able to retarget a little bit. They're able to go, okay, so we know that people, uh, we had this type of a video about diabetes, for instance, and our video about diabetes really resonated with a lot of our audience, about 80% of our audience. So we know within our email list that we should have about 80% interested buyers. So let's send out an automated email campaign going to a website where they can click the buy button. When they click the buy button, the web page comes up and says you've been placed on a wait list, but we'll let you know when it's ready. doesn't take any money, but if people got all the way through to that, and you got a pretty good response rate, enough to cover, you know, break even, and then have a good ROI, you've got a product. Right. Right, 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 right. Um, so why are business plans so important? Because we hear different things about business plans. Uh, in some cases, we see the business plan as a benefit. Some will argue that the business plan is really just something that's going to hold you up by causing you to get into this rigid view of your business that's going to kill innovation. So in your experience, how does, how does business planning tie into all this? In real estate, they say it's location, location, location. 
And I would say in the okay. pharma world, it's business planning, business planning, business planning. Because the cycle from product idea to actually getting to market is so long, you're going to need to think through a bunch of the different hurdles. It's not a really quick cycle where you can turn things around in three months, right? You have an idea and then you need to create the idea. You need to bench top test it. But before you can go into anything live, you need to have it through the regulator. You need to plan out and understand whether it's a drug or it's a device or it's a biologic, whatever that is, you need to have the right grade of material. You ha need to have the right qualifications from a manufacturing perspective. So it may not be the same across all industries, but I would certainly say in the biotech world, you need to plan. You have to be, and this is where the tool of a business plan for my clients really comes in. It forces them to sit down, ask themselves good quality critical thinking questions, in which case they probably haven't thought of half of these questions, and then they're going, oh, I need to do a little more research here. Most scientists like that, I need to do a little more research. <laughs> and then they go on and they go, okay, um, Looks like with these base calculations, I didn't realize that this this wasn't really viable from a I'm going to make money perspective. Once I calculate in all of the costs of the raw materials and the time and spending money on, on doing trials if that's necessary or the filing fees, uh, maybe I just need to choose a different strategy. So if they're sitting down and they're thinking about this, it's important for them to be critically asking themselves, what's my end goal? What's my exit strategy? If the exit strategy, and as in the case of one of my clients, uh, who is a, a professor, will soon be retiring, wants to actually create a company and has started a few years in advance, I think that's great. He knows what his strategy is. He knows what his plan is. Awesome. Okay, so next up, then we need to know does that work for everyone? No. I have another client who really just wants to continue to invent. So her exit strategy is different. Her strategy is to sell off and license because she doesn't want to build a company. She doesn't want the overhead. She doesn't want the headaches. But she would never have asked herself that question if she hadn't run through the list of business planning questions. So I, uh -huh. I feel that it's really important to make sure whether you're doing it as a one or two page document or you're doing it as a more formalized business plan, which probably isn't necessary in all cases, frankly, uh, that you do take that critical thinking time. I see this not only in business planning, but also in business coaching. That that is a question that so often just doesn't get asked is, do you want to be in this business? And to me, this is one of the things inside business coaching that sometimes I feel cause people to miss opportunities or to go deeper down a road that they really don't want to go down. The question just doesn't get asked, well, do you want to be in this business? Do you want to sell this business? Would you rather do something else? The assumptions that we often see is you come in for business coaching and it's like, oh, okay, well, we can make that more profitable, we can help you build leverage, we can help you build systems, we can help you, perhaps you need some rebranding or to accentuate your branding. You may need to do a launch of some sort to create market awareness. A lot of things we can do, 
but the question sometimes just gets missed. Um, you know, maybe the real source of unhappiness is not that they're not making the money that they think they should be making, but they should be in the business in the first place. I was brought, this came into my awareness when I was in MBA school and I had my business problems class and we, the what's happening in the class is we did a series of reviews of Harvard, Harvard Business School case studies. And for almost an entire, entire class session, two and a half hours, because it was an evening class once a week, we discussed this one case, went back and forth and back and forth. And 10 minutes before class is supposed to end at 8.40 at night, the professor says, you know, you've all had all these ideas all night long, but not one of you thought to ask the business owner if they want to be in this business. And everybody's head probably exploded. <laughs> kind of, yeah. And I can still see it in my mind's eye because, like, wow. Wow. How, I, I, it's like that, like, we we never even thought to ask, do they want to be in this business? And I, myself, am kind of a case study of that. When I first started as an entrepreneur, I created a small agency, and the goal of that agency was to do back-end work for training and development firms, employee training and development. So I had some clients where we did some things along the lines of collating data from employee surveys, creating material for PowerPoint presentations. Uh, in one case, we did background research. If I had uh, somebody publishing their book, there are a lot of those types of things. And after I jumped and made it from being a side hustle to being my full-time thing, I had the business full-time, I met somebody in a hallway at some event, and now, wouldn't you know it, I'm in marketing support, because I convinced somebody who had a firm that rendered marketing support for small businesses that I was a fast learner when it came to software. In fact, this person said to me, you know, I've hired a lot of people, and there are two types. The, there are the types that are so awful that I, six months from now, I'm going to wish they would leave. But I suspect you're going to be the one that's going to be so good at this that I'm going to wish you would stay, but you will acquire your own client base where they're paying you a lot more money than I can, then you're going to leave me. I turned out to be the latter. Uh, but, you know, I went to this business. I even created a brand around it. It was called The Website Surgeon, where I literally dressed up as a surgeon uh, when I did speeches and presentations. And, you know, it was it was fine because I had more referrals than I knew what to do with. If I had a piece of garbage client that was high maintenance and drained my soul, I could just fire them and I'd have 20 others. But, you know, I got to a business where I had all those things. I had the virtual team. I had the project managers and, and the web designers and the social media people and the virtual assistants. And we had teams built around clients and, and, and marketing plans and everything else. And I freaking hated it. I felt like all I was doing was making sure that fires didn't emerge, and when they did, having to put them out. And I never quite got over the hurdle of when clients wanted to do business with my firm, they felt entitled to me personally, to the point where I would attempt to have their assigned project manager handle their day-to-day -day tasks, and they would take emails that their assigned project manager had sent to them 
and forward them to me with their response. Or there would be emails where it would be me and a project manager involved, and they would deliberately remove the project manager if they tried to deal just with me. So I wasn't getting the leverage, and I had people fighting me on this leverage. In the end, I recognized recognized two things. The nature of the business that I was creating is something where people look for a personal touch. And when they engage the owner of the business, they expect that that's who they're going to deal with. I found that successful companies managed to preserve that. And the other thing I discovered is I really wanted to do this as much as I wanted to lobotomize myself with a butter knife without anesthesia. <laughs> and I shut the thing down. My, I, my account thought I was crazy until we saw the changes in my profit margin. But eight years, and I never asked myself until the end. I never asked myself the question, and my various business coaches never asked me the question of, Adam, do you really want to do this? And if somebody you know, asked me somewhere along the way, I don't think I would have said, yes, I want to do this. I would have said, well, um, really? Uh, so we're spending a few minutes on this topic in our conversation here. I think this is so important, especially when people want to create things. Uh, whether it's bioscience or invention or what have you, and they get excited because they have the cocktail napkin conversation, but then it becomes a question of, do I really actually want to do this, or is this just a really cool idea? That is, that really does, Adam, lead to one of the biggest aha moments I've had recently in terms of the best value-added activity that Every single person, I don't care who you are, needs to be doing in their business. Because exactly what you've just described is your journey. We need to be setting aside, as business owners, time every single day, 20 minutes even, to critically think about one question. Because how long would it have been if that person in that hallway, if it hadn't actually taken place? Would you still be unhappy, bad profit margins, sitting there trying to juggle your time with clients who demanded your time as opposed to your project manager's time? That just makes for an unhappy existence, doesn't it? In the the end, it did. I mean, hey, it seems so easy because I have referrals beating down my door. I mean, so I never really had to market the thing. Uh, my biggest challenge was is keeping away some of the Lulus that uh, referral partners tried to voice upon me, ch- candidly. Mm-hmm. And um, and I mean, I'm saying this because I recognize in hindsight, if I were to do that type of business, first of all, I wouldn't have done it because it's just not in alignment with my growing and my passion when you really come down to it. But if I it was within the alignment of my growing and my passion, there are a number of things I would have done differently that I think would have been very effective. Because I have friends who have seven-figure digital marketing agencies, and they love what they do, and they have great teams and everything else, and they've made that type of thing work for them. But the difference with these folks is when you speak with them, it's like you could be at a picnic, and all they're going to do is talk about their business. They're that excited about it. Whereas me, it'd be like, can we discuss baseball, please? I don't have to deal with that. And I bring and I bring and I bring that up because I want to get your thoughts. Could that be a good test to ask the That person, is a good test. If you if you if you, if you were to, if you were at a family picnic and, and Uncle Roy wanted to get to know you better, 
would you want to tell them about your business or would you try to change the topic or run from Uncle Roy? And that, and that right there, if you can't step up and talk about your business with a level of passion and excitement and enthusiasm, oh, Adam, you should be running for the hills and doing that critical thinking time to make sure, is this where I want to be? Is this exactly right. what I want to be spending my valuable time doing? Am I getting the passion and the fulfillment and the enjoyment out of it? You know, it's funny. I don't know if you've encountered the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS, uh, but I'm an EOS implementer as well. And we were doing a, a uh, section of the EOS toolbox, and we were talking about something called the People Analyzer. And we were grading everybody from top down within the organization. And it was interesting because exactly what we're talking about here for ourselves we were talking about for analyzing people in our organization, saying, okay, so within this, this, this place, um, if you can't actually come up and say that this person 100% demonstrates this skill, if you are hemming and hawing, ooh, we need to look at that. That's an issue. So if you aren't talking to Uncle Roy at the picnic with passion, if you aren't excited about what you're doing when you wake up in the day, it's a bit of an issue. Don't you think? Yeah, I would say so. I would so, I would absolutely I would absolutely say that that's extremely important. Um, and and I also understand compartmentalization because you can't necessarily be turned on twenty four seven. That's another way to burn out. But yeah. if you but it, but and, and to me there might be a happy medium. Maybe there's a case where. You just really don't want to talk business right now. Maybe you're there with Uncle Roy and you want to talk about fishing. So if it's a, if it's just a matter of you want to shift the conversation going fishing, then you just change the topic. But if just the thought of hearing him saying, "Well, Susan, uh, tell us what's going on with that uh, with that bio stuff," and it's making you think, "Do I even really want to go to the picnic because I might have to hear that question?" To me, that's kind of the that's kind of the Rubicon right there. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, it is. So, your audience listening to this right now, ask yourself: You're driving a car, you're listening with a podcast. You're, you know, are you experiencing the passion that you want to experience day to day? I mean, clearly, Adam is truly passionate about having this conversation. I can hear it in his voice. But are you experiencing the passion that you want? And if you aren't, is it because maybe just you're a little burnt out, right? Because there's, there's right. different reasons why somebody could. Maybe the business is just going through a tough time. Maybe you just need yeah. to rekindle that passion. Or maybe, as in, as in your case, Adam, it was really something you needed a hard look at to do something different. Yeah. And I didn't take that hard look nearly as soon as I should have. And tell the story because I hope it can help somewhere along the line. It's not like I have a lack of gratitude for the experience. And some of the clients that were with that firm are actually still with me today. So their business has evolved with what I have to offer, and we've stayed together in different ways throughout the year. So it's not let's not really you know discuss the people because there's a lot of great people, but it's just the nature of the work. It's like I don't want to want to want to do this. Uh, 
Like there's uh, there's another, and this is something that I get into debates with uh, business coaches a lot about, and this is a place where we often end up respectfully disagreeing, is let's say you need to raise capital quickly for whatever reason. Um, it could be because you need funding for your invention. And the question comes up is, well, what could you get paid to do right now? So somebody might come to me and they, and they might coach me to say, well, you know, is there anybody around who needs a website built? Like, first of all, I was never a website designer. I can't draw a straight line with a, I can't draw a roller with a straight line. I can't even get that saying correct. Uh, I hired designers. That's not my thing. So you can ask the question of, well, but think about it. Yeah, you're kind of, you're kind of gritting your teeth through it, but think about all that money you have. Yeah, and in the end, it's going to sap your soul, and then you're going to you're going to end up actually losing money on the project. It just happens. You end up losing money on it. So, question I ask is, what if, since you're in a situation where you need to raise capital anyway, you need to raise money, you need to get a couple extra invoices in for cash flow reasons, what if you were to take that same energy you're going to use finding quote unquote easy money for stuff you know how to do but hate? And just put that towards attracting some stuff you love or want to do. Now, the reason I bring that up is when it comes to things like some of the stuff that you help clients with, like uh, medical solutions, uh, bioscience businesses, and the connection between investors and inventors, well, it's not always easy to just say, well, I just invented this new medical clamp, and how am I going to make money off it quickly? And in a lot of cases, uh, I would suggest that if the idea is good enough, in other words, you've done that basic market research and you've made sure you talk to people so you are meeting an unmet need, there are actually a number of places to go and get that money. Now, quick is a total relative thing in the world of biotech. Uh, if your idea is sexy enough, then you might actually be able to do some crowdfunding around it. But for the most part, when you're talking about developing a small molecule, it's not really something that is going to be able to be crowdsourced, crowdfunded. So that goes back to making sure that you are continually networking because that way you can tap into resources. If you have a vast enough network, you can make sure that you have the right connections. Hey guys, um, I needs to raise some money. Who do you know in your network that might have uh, might be in a granting agency, for instance, or uh, might have a good relationship with a, a particular biotech, large biotech firm that is looking to invest in this particular area that might be interested in funding and doing a joint venture. There's a whole bunch of ways to creatively look at it, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to your network and the people that you know. And so, it was interesting, a year and a half ago, somebody challenged me to connect with three of my LinkedIn connections each and every day. Um, I'm usually an introvert, so that's, that was a hard one for me. Um, yes. I yes. do yes. Yes. three yes. times. I, I feel you. <laughs> I hear you. And, and uh, the phone's intimidating for me. So to be able to sit there, and, and most people do know that on their LinkedIn profile, you can go in and there's a little button if you're a connection, not if you're not a connection, but if you are a connection to somebody, you can click it and it will bring up 
their contact details. Now, in some cases, it has an email address. In some cases, it has a phone number. But uh, that was that was hard to do. Hey, guys, uh, thank you for connecting with me on LinkedIn. Um, would you be open to a 10-minute chat? I promise I'm not going to pitch you. That's not the purpose. It's a get-to-know-you chat. I have met some of the most incredible people on this planet and some of the nicest entrepreneurs that I have ever met because I simply picked up the phone and said, thank you for connecting. I would just like 10 minutes of your time. If it's now, it's okay. If it's not now, it's okay. Let me know how I can add value to you if there's anything that right. you need. Yeah, I do a lot I do a lot of those. Those are really great calls. You can get a lot done in 15 minutes when you're efficient about it, too, because what you don't want to get in the situation of is you're just chatting for, like, an hour each and every time. You just can't do it. You don't have enough hours in a day. It's not efficient. But when you can make those 15-minute connections, they can be extremely powerful, and especially when there is no immediate deal on the table. Because what you're doing is you're, you're availing yourself to the network and, if you want to use that phrase, the universe, to find out what's out there that could draw energy into your business. So I love the way you answered my question, which really came down to, let's say you needed to move forward with a business or move forward with an invention or a venture or something like that, and just the idea of putting energy into attracting what you're looking for isn't going to bring you the money very quickly. What you've done is you've actually shown us how we can shorten the path to the cash by having some of these practices in place, speaking with reach out to three people a day and having all these short conversations, understanding your network and who might be able to introduce you to whom. It's so important because you just never know who you know until you start talking to them. Right? How many times you have, and I see it all the time on Facebook, which I'm less likely to hit an accept button on if I don't know the person, only because it's a family right. personal page. But you're sitting there across from a professional connection on LinkedIn going, I don't know, maybe it would be interesting. And you know what? Maybe I can't add value to you today, um, but who knows in a year whether you're going to need something or whether I can connect you with somebody else. I reached out, and one day I, I was talking to a veterinarian who was running his clinic, and he was in need of some employment assistance. I am in no way an HR person. But right. within my network, I do happen to know a number of university people who are in vet schools, and they know grads who are looking for jobs. So while I don't have anything, I asked him, you know, hey, send me what you're looking for, and I will pass it along. Can't guarantee an outcome, but guess what? Through one of the connections, he managed to get a hire that he needed. Great. That's cool. It didn't had anything but you know some good good feelings on my part and he managed to solve a problem that he had just because he took that 10-minute call yeah yeah it's again uh, if you if you don't think that there's a media connection you don't have to make an hour call but most of your scheduling systems out there will allow you to do 15-minute appointments and that's what it's going to be it's going to be a 15-minute appointment so you set up your scheduling system to allow for 15-minute appointments, you create a separate channel on it that only allows 15-minute appointments because it's just for that type of call. Even if you have to pay the extra $5, it's more than worth it. And you program it so that uh, it allows you so that uh, it allows you to schedule them either on at the, at the top of the hour or 30 minutes 
the taxi hour or 15 and 45. The idea being is you're going to have a 15-minute buffer afterwards in case that call does go a little bit long. But if not, if it's just a getting-to-know-you call, then you have the it's a 15-minute call thing. So for those of you, I say that for those who may be listening and saying, oh, boy, I know how it is with those so-called 15-minute calls. Learn to be efficient. Yes. Take, be a master of your time because your time is valuable. And while we're on the subject of these beautiful calendars and, and all these freebies that are available in terms of your productivity tools, you know, your schedulers are great. They provide a wonderful ability. Just put that link at the bottom of your signature block and just a little something on it that says, hey, if you're open to connecting uh, for 10 minutes, and then you just put that link in there. It's perfect. It just takes care of it for you. You block the time off in the calendar. It says, you know, hey, maybe every day between 9 and 10 o'clock or whatever it is that works for you, I'm open to three calls that are 15 minutes or two calls that are 15 minutes. And when it fills, it fills, and when it doesn't, it doesn't. And you can reach out to your network with tools like emailers. So uh, I've often used something like MailChimp, which has uh, free access up to 2,000 connections, 2,000 names. And you can go out and you can do a mass email. Don't, don't do this, by the way. I did this accidentally, and I put 1,000 connections in there that I'd been working on in LinkedIn and had connected with, and I sent out an email to them, and I said, hey, you know, if you'd like to reconnect, here's the link. Um, wow, my schedule blew up for three months. Don't do that. Have a little bit more yeah. forethought. People are actually willing to, to connect. Uh, but an emailer is great if you want to talk to people. If you have a certain need, hey, guys, uh, one of my clients needed, it's called SR&ED tax credits. Uh, I need a specialist in this. Who knows somebody who could help in this particular field with this particular type of problem? And I got 10 referrals. That's awesome. I had a need, and the, the connections responded. That's great. Um, right. The ability, the ability to even post on social media, uh, Loomly, for instance, is is another good one. It's another free free tool for a, a trial period. And if you've got a LinkedIn plus a Facebook or a YouTube or Pinterest or whatever it is, you can link up these different accounts and you can just queue up some messages. So in other words, you're only spending maybe an hour's time at one point in the month as opposed to, oh, gosh, i got to remember to put that out there. Oh, gosh, I, I forgot to post. Just queue it up. Let the automations run for you. Yeah, there are ways to have mass communications, uh, which I like to call mass personalization, where <laughs> it actually has that authenticity to it, and you don't have to manually do each and every one. There are apps that you can plug into social media. There are apps you can plug into, say, if you're using Gmail or something like that. Uh, I mean, obviously, check with your terms and conditions so you don't end up wrecking everything you've created. And if something feels like it's a little too good to be true, it just may be. So do your due diligence on that. But these two types of things do, in fact, exist. Uh, like, what, you know, like, one, like one example could be that if you want to do a follow-up series, you do a small number of people. You can use something like Boomerang and Gmail and schedule the five follow-ups. And if they, um, and if they uh, respond to you before you get to follow-up number three, just, you know, find, just find Susan Goble and delete number three, number four, number five, because you got her. Exactly. And, and make the most out of that, because leverage, uh, leveraging those automations really makes the business and the productivity 
flourish a lot more. And sometimes, you know, I, I'm, an, I'm an older person. I say quote-unquote older because a lot of my clients are either older than me or younger than me. It's kind of one of those funny things. Uh, and the ones that are younger than me, they look at me like I'm ancient when I pull out my pen and paper. <laughs> but realistically, those automation tools are super important and helpful in order to allow the scalability of your business. And it's not just in productivity, but there's a lot of systems out there now that each business can make use of that are very simple and easy to use. Exactly, exactly. So, again, this conversation is a little bit different than I originally envisioned. We're having a lot of fun with it. So uh, we are. what I'd like to do now, we have, about ten, we have about 10 minutes here, and I do want to give a moment or two at the end, because I know you have something for us here, is I do want to get into a little bit of your niching, because you know, you've worked with bioscience businesses, and you've worked with doctors to bring medical solutions to market, and you've created that investor-to-investor connection. So, and that's, that's a specific and niche work that you've done. What are some of the things that we should consider as we apply tactics to business in general, the overall environment of business? Like what can the general business community learn from your specialized work? I think one of the key success factors when you're in pharma and bioscience uh, that you really can learn from is continual education. Right? We, we talk about doctors and clinicians and academics, and they are continually trying to learn and hone their skills. There are a lot of business people that I have run into over the years who have learned stuff, and then they've gone, well, my business is different, or I'm unique, or there's nothing new that I need to learn. And I would challenge that assumption or predisposition to not reading and not continuing to take courses because there's so much that changes on a regular basis in this world that if we really want to stay at the forefront and we really want to keep connecting with our end user, we got to know what they what they want. We've got to be able to stay in touch and we've got to be able to look at all the other industries around and go, hmm, you know, that model over there would work really well in my business. And so if you can take a look around you and look and think critically about the business models itself for everything that you see and that you're reading, it's pretty cool be able to then go, okay, would that work for me? Should it be a membership bit? business? Should it be more recurring revenue? Should my business model change to increase profitability in my pocket? Because in the, in the pharma world, that's key. You will die if you cannot raise the funds because $2 billion to develop a drug is a heck of a lot of money. So when you're looking at, yeah. at some of the lessons, I would say that's a big one. The market research and the avatar is critical to make sure that you actually have a viable product. And I'd also say beta testing is really important. You don't use that one quite as much in the pharma world, uh, only because there's a lot of regulatory involved. However, beta testing your message is super important to success. What's going to resonate? Right. Right, and you know, I shared this myself. Is we can learn a lot from the world of politics as well. People get the idea that they're going to run for office, right? And I ask this question when I give speeches and presentations. I say, imagine if you were going to run for governor, what would be your first move? 
And they give all kinds of answers. But the one that very few people come up with is to run an exploratory committee. That's a phrase that people hear but doesn't register with them. So I'm going to explain it now so that it will register. An exploratory committee is something that allows a potential candidate to literally explore the possibility of running for a particular office. It doesn't bind them to run for that office. It doesn't bind them to run for that particular office either. It's just a matter of creating an official and formal vehicle for exploring how that would work out for you. How, you know, how is your messaging? Uh, what is your ability to penetrate the voter segments you need? Uh, this is where you have sort of your 2 a.m. home shopping network mistake opportunities, like if you're looking to break on the television, you do it at 2 o'clock in the morning when only three drunk people are watching anyway, so you do it there. And you may discover that the field is wide open for you to make that run and you have a good chance of winning. You may discover that, well, oh, actually, instead of governor, I think I'm going to go for the House of Representatives or I'm going to go for mayor or something like that. Uh, or you say, no, nah, I don't want to do this. I'm going to go back to what I was doing, basket weaving. Or you could use the publicity that you've gained from that committee and turn it into a book deal or a, a regular contributor spot on the news. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do with it. And what's really cool about it is it allows you to raise money. You know, it, I was just thinking as you were talking about all that, Adam, that it really brings us back to the very first points that were made during our chat today, and that's about being willing to fail. Because if you're simply married to the idea that you want to run for a specific office, there's no point in taking the time, money, or effort to do that evaluation. You may not wind up winning because you haven't done the groundwork, but there's no point. But if you're open to, hey, I need to, I want to do this with an end goal of helping people. That's how I want to really see my time in office. Which office? Maybe I, I'm not married to the office, and it has to be this one in particular at governor or that one over there at mayor. Right. Be open to the feedback. Be coachable and listen to what the audience is telling you about your product, about your business, and adjust. Use, and one of the other key things that I talk to my clients about are metrics. Because if you are not measuring things, then it's, oh, I think that, um, um, maybe it is that, I really don't know, compared to, well, the data says that the numbers are actually going down, I have a problem, and it's going to become critical soon. Yeah. Yeah, very true. And going back briefly to the exploratory model is it allows you to officially proclaim that you're looking into it and invite people to support you or to critique it without having to say, I'm definitely doing it. So it actually allows you to fail because if it turns out that that's an avenue that you're either just not going to pursue or that you find out is not going to be a viable path for you, then you've actually still succeeded because you explored. You explored and the destination just wasn't quite what you expected, or the destination was the no versus the yes, but okay, I explored, done, now I'll do explore something else. That's exactly right, and, and it's super important to do that groundwork, right? And so from, from the pharma perspective, a lot of that comes through the critical thinking when it comes to building your business plan. 
not may not be right. a two-page business plan is fine too. Uh, you don't have to be a 30-page document that you know at the end of the day you're going, whoa, it's beautiful, oh my god. It's a living, breathing document as more information comes in and assumptions are challenged. Right. Right, very true. So we're pretty much right here at the, at the top, and I wanted to, uh, first of all, thank you for being with us here today. And you mentioned before we went live that you had a little something for our listeners. So I wanted to turn over the floor to you right now and just tell us a little bit about uh, what people can gain from working with you, and I think you said you had something to share with us. Well, I did, and thank you, Adam. I appreciate that. If your listeners want to reach out and spend 30 minutes with me uh, free of charge, uh, please do. I will ha give you the link in the show notes, uh, but my email address is sgoebel2017 at gmail.com. Feel free at any time to reach out and just let me know how you, how you connected because I'm here to help and I want you guys to be successful. And if you're experiencing a challenge that you think I can add some value, right, just like my 10-minute calls three times a day, I am happy to help do it. If it's not me who can solve the problem, I wonder if there's someone in my network I can connect you to. And so I would really yeah. love to be able to offer that value, Adam, to your listeners. Oh, great. Absolutely. So, Susan Goble, thank you so much for being with us here today. And for all of our listeners, please consider Susan if you have an interest in bioscience or some of the things we've covered as well, uh, because she does have a lot to offer in that area. Uh, again, appreciate you being here, and it's been an honor and an education. Adam, it has been an absolute blast talking to you for the last hour. I really appreciate it. I want you to have an amazing day. Same with you and your audience who's listening right now. Have an awesome rest of your day, and uh, thank you so much for the honor of the invite. Fantastic. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win. It's a game of business and marketing, so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.